0: Welcome Bible aficionados, those who have made it this far in this virtual Bible study. Way to stick with it. This is going to be our last episode of the 1st John study. And I'm Amy Clarkson and you're listening to Zone Logos, which stands for the Living Word in Greek. We're finishing up today. This is chapter 5 in 1st John and... If this is your first time listening, you may want to go back and search for this podcast and start at the beginning. Then again, you can always just jump in here as well. I'm reading from the NIV version, but feel free to follow along in whatever version you prefer. And again, I love hearing your comments and thoughts and things that stick out to you. Thanks for reaching out, those of you who have. All right, let's jump in. This is 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to start with verse 1 everyone who believes that jesus is the christ is born of god and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well a couple things in this verse. first john's using this phrase again born of god he's used it a couple times in this chapter that word born comes from the greek word geneo which means offspring it's where we get our word genetics or genealogy if this passage seems a bit familiar I'm gonna remind you that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John said, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So what's the slight difference here? In chapter four, he said everyone who loves, and in this one, he is saying everyone who believes. That word believes comes from the Greek word pisteo, which is where we get our word faith. Faith is also from that same root word, and it means to be persuaded. Now, as we read through these verses, going to be a very circular rhythm to this where we're going to be talking about love and about faith and about obedience I want you to kind of see how these all continue to circle in on themselves so John's not contradicting himself here in chapter 5 saying something different by saying it's belief that leads us to being born of God instead of love you're going to see that it's all linked together this last little clause here in chapter 5 verse 1 about everyone who loves the father loves his child as well is one way that John is linking the concept of chapter 4 to this one, saying it's not just about belief, but if we believe this and then we love the father, we're going to love all of his children as well, our brothers. Verse 2 says this, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In other words, if we were in doubt, if we were wondering how do we know? How do we know that we're actually loving God's children? And what's the proof of that? He's giving us the answer. Get ready for this all to be circular. He's saying it's by loving God and carrying out his commands. And carrying out comes from the word poio, p-o-i-e-o, which means to make or do. So it's an actual action that we're doing. There's another small change in different versions. Mine has a colon, then it says by loving God. This is how we know by loving God. But in the Greek, there's actually a little phrase here that means whenever. It's HOTAN, H-O-T-A-N. And it means when this is happening, this is how we know this. This is the proof. So another way to read this would be, this is how we know that we love the children of God whenever we're loving God and carrying out his commands. It's just a small little link there. Okay, quick review before we go into verse 3 and 4. What's important here so far? That we have faith in everyone who believes and that we love the children of God. And we know we're doing that when we're loving God and obeying his commands. Okay, okay. Now let's read three and four. This is the love of God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. Okay, this is that great circular link now. So how do we know we're loving others? Well, we've got to love God and carry out his commands. And what is actually loving God? Guess what? It's obeying his commands and if we're forgetting what his commands are, I would direct you back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. This is what this says. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Okay, we're back to faith and love again. So watch the circle, right? We are to have faith that he is Christ, and then when we do that, we love others, and we do that by loving God, and following his commands and what is it to love God it means to obey his commands and what is his command is to have faith and to love others it's a giant circle so those three things remain the most important but you can't pick out which one is more important that's what's lovely about a circle a never-ending circle is that they're all of equal value so faith and love and obedience not one is greater than the other and they all link And lead to the other now this last part of verse 3 says that his commands are not burdensome burdensome comes from the word to that means to be heavy or pressing down with force it's not supposed to be something hard to carry around I would ask this just on first thought does it feel like a burden ever to love everyone, or to love our enemies, to always love our brothers and sisters. It's not supposed to, according to this, at least the command itself. And he goes on to explain a little bit more with the sentence in verse four, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The language used in this part is very warlike. In fact, the word is used three times in its different forms it's the word overcome or victory. Those come from the same root word in the Greek, which is nikao, N I K A O. And it really does mean uh, to conquer. It's a victory in battle. It's a, a very uh, warlike term again. So in verse 4, he's using those words and trying to explain it um, to counter what he just said that his commands are not burdensome. If you think about being weighed down by something oppressive, This would be the opposite, it's a a conquering, a victory. It's to rise above that thing that seems hard. And what does he say in the last part of verse four that is this victory? How do we do this, even our faith? So here we are, we're back again to this circle of faith or belief, love, and obedience. This last sentence says in verse five, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is explaining that element of faith as it's tied with the idea of overcoming the world. I would pause here just to ask you to think about that. What does it mean to have victory over the world or to overcome the world? Picture what that means. Does that mean having significance or success? Does that mean financial independence? Does it mean living a long life or does it mean living with peace in the midst of chaos or feeling fulfilled despite the outward circumstances? I don't have the right answer, but notice that whatever it is that it means to overcome the world, it doesn't say that we do that by being perfect, never sinning, earning some type of form of righteousness. It's really talking about belief, about faith. And so then the next question is, how does faith or belief help us to have this victory? What's the mechanism there? For me, it's not just faith as a noun, but faith as a verb. That idea of belief being something that we put into action. And if I am putting my faith or my beliefs into action, it's accompanied by hope. If I truly believe the promises and the reality of what I find in the scriptures, then I have hope and peace and joy. And all of those inward transformations are what help me personally have victory over the world, over any circumstance, over any crisis. Let's move on because we're switching a little bit now. John starts in verse 6 by saying, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth, and I He's like that because, because I think that second part says to, to make sure we understand come by water what we're only. talking about. But by water we and say blood, we believe meaning in Jesus. Remember that John. Christ. First, we the need to ask, her, what is he talking and about? He baptized the person who yes, came by water. water and blood. What is he referencing? What are your thoughts? The commentators actually have many different opinions. So I'm going to tell you the three that I found, and you can decide for yourself which one you like, and then I'll share which one I like. One of the opinions is that this is referencing baptism and death, water for baptism and blood for death. The second opinion is that the water and blood are referencing the actual uh, fluids that are coming from Christ's side when he was on the cross, that when he was pierced, we had this water and blood that came out. And the third opinion thinks that this is referencing our sacraments that we uh, take at the time of the Eucharist of the wine and meaning the blood and the body even though this is water and blood. I don't know which one you prefer. I like the baptism and death. And I like that because that second part says he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. Meaning, remember that John was the baptizer and he baptized Christ, yes, with water. But then what happened? The Spirit of God descended on him. The Holy Spirit was with him as symbolized by a dove. And then ultimately, of course, it is the blood that was spilt for us on the cross, which made the true propitiation or atoning sacrifice that was needed. There's one more element that is important besides the water and the blood. And John talks about this in that second part and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Testifies comes from a Greek word martureo, M-A-R-T-U-R-E-O, which does mean to testify or witness or bear record or report. So the crucial thing in all of this is the Spirit or the Holy Spirit who is the entity that convinces us or bears witness to us of the truth or reality of all that has happened. I also like the symmetry of these three things. How often is three such a holy, sacred number in the Bible? With uh, the Trinity, three days uh, for the resurrection, three is just always a number that we pay attention to in the Bible, and with perfect symmetry, there's three here. Verse seven says For there are three that testify. Verse eight, the spirit, the water, and the blood and the three are in agreement. This is one where the Greek is much more profound. Instead of the word in agreement, the actual Greek word for this is en, which is actually the number one. So we have now heard that these three become one. They are one even though they're separate. Does that not sound like the Trinity? Separate, yet unified. Let's read verse 9 and 10. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. Okay, what is all of this? Well, first of all, this is that same word Testimony used multiple times that we used um, in the verse before that martyria Which means again to witness it's to give evidence or record So when has God given a testimony that they may be referring to in this? Well, we've been talking about the water and the blood and the spirit. I went back to Matthew chapter 3 and in the story of Jesus's baptism in verse 17 of chapter 3 it says and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love and him i am well pleased well that's one of the testimony or the evidence that god from heaven above said that this is my son so what john's saying here is if we say we believe in god and god's voice said this is my son we better believe that that's true because otherwise if we don't, that means that God lied. And if God lied, then doesn't that make him not really God and maybe crazy? It's the same for Jesus. If he claimed to be the son of God and we say, well, we don't believe that is true, that makes him out to be crazy as well. So if they're both in agreement and we say we believe one, we have to believe the other. Otherwise, throw it all out. Throw religion out. If, if the God that we're serving, we, don't, we think lied to us at that moment, <laughs> then what is the point of continuing on with us faith. Now, I spoke of a word that God spoke from the Gospel of Matthew, a testimony he gave. But in verse 11, John's going to include another type of testimony that God gave. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. In verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life here then is the part two of the truth of God that when we believe in him and we know his words to be true and his reality to be true that he does have a son and that son is Christ then we also know that the rest of it's true which is what that we have eternal life through that son through Jesus Christ they're linked together now in this last verse he says he who has the son has life I just wanted to ask you what you thought that means. How do you have the sun? What does that mean to have price? The Greek word have is echo, E-C-H-O, which means to hold or to possess. So if we possess or have the sun, we also possess or have life. And this word life in the Greek is zoe, And it's both physical and present life, but it's also spiritual or future existence. So when we have Christ as a part of us, we truly get to experience life both now and later. Verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 13 is reminding us that if we believe, then we have eternal life, and we should know that we do. We should have confidence. But there's another type of confidence he talks about too in verse 14. This word confidence is paresia, p-a-r-r-e-s-i-a in Greek, and I like this word. It's all of speech. It's being outspoken, frank, or blunt. In other words, When we know that we belong and because of our belief in Christ, then we get to have an outspoken, blunt attitude when we approach God. I love this because it's not just a posture. It's not just being confident, meaning we don't have fear. This is a outspokenness. It's being able to say what we want and act how we are without any type of fear. That second part says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let's break that down briefly. Ask in definition is to ask, beg, call for, crave, or desire, it's pretty broad. If we do have any of those intentions. And this isn't key, it's according to his will. Will here is thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A, and that word is only ever used when we talk about god it's desires of god not of man so if our desires are according to his desires or we're craving what he's craving then it says he hears us and that comes from the word uh, that we use for acoustic akuo, which means to listen he's hearing us And this last part I really like, that's verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Do you hear what he's saying? That if we believe and we have a desire that matches with God's desire, then we already know that that has been answered. We might not see it, but we already have the answer. That's a pretty profound statement, and I wonder if we can really believe that. Let's finish up here. Some still good thoughts in these last few verses. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. This verse in Anyone Who Sees His Brother, that word is actually horao, H-O-R-A-O, which means to see with the mind that's important to notice this is a spiritual seeing not a physical seeing so in other words if we um, are directed or have a concern inwardly about a brother and this is a brother or a Christian that uh, we think may be committing a sin then what does it say we're supposed to do does it say we're supposed to go confront this person are we to correct this person are we going to go uh, tell everybody else about this person you know what is our first response here we are to pray that God will give him life that's that same word Zoe life meaning both now and spiritual and eternal I think this is a good word for us I think sometimes we think it's our job to go correct everybody but God is specifically saying if we're concerned we need to stop and pray and then the second part of this verse explains this sin that leads to death it says this I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. At first glance, this may seem really odd because aren't we supposed to want everybody to, should we pray about everybody? But he's talking specifically the sin that leads to death. uh, When this is a sin or a direction, that's uh, a, a state or a habit of sin That's willful and persistent when you look up this definition. So, in other words, if somebody's life is very willfully and persistent and following in a course leading to death, because we know sin leads to death, what John is saying is we shouldn't request. It's actually a different word than pray. Uh, It's not the word that we just used. Even though my translation uses pray, this is actually different. It's a word... Um, eroteo, E-R-O-T-A-O. And it actually is not true prayer. It's, the definition of that word is to ask for special favor or preferred portion or special consideration. Do you see now what he's saying? Is if, if somebody's life is willfully disobedient, we shouldn't ask God for a special favor for them, is what he's saying. We shouldn't say, hey, let them off the hook. Uh, and they should get some special um, favor, or preferred position. All John is saying is um, don't do that. Let the natural process happen. And that doesn't mean we can't pray for life for them. It's just this idea of um, asking for favors for somebody who uh, clearly does not want them. Verse 17 says, All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. He's just trying to reiterate that all injustice, all wrongfulness, all of that um, is still sin. In other words, we should still pray for all of that, but it may not be something that's leading to death. That happens all the time. I do wrong things all the time that are missing the mark, which is the definition of sin, but it's not leading to death because daily I am uh, asking to be renewed and cleansed. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. This is kind of what I just said. If we're born of God, we don't continue in sin. We don't do that sin that leads to death, which is this willful, habitual, persistent, I'm not turning around, I'm going this direction because I want to. We won't do that if we've been born of God. In fact... This is so encouraging. If I've been born of God, then God is keeping me safe so that the evil one cannot harm me. In other words, God is watching and guarding my life so that the wicked one or evil one, poneros, is the Greek, and it means evil, hurtful, miserable. um, And that sense of someone or some entity that is all of those things cannot. And the word here is touch me. Um, it's from the word in Greek, hapto, which is to fasten or to cling. So picture that. Evilness, hurt, and misery will not attach itself to my life and cling to me in that way when I'm born of God. Because God will keep me safe, will watch and guard against that. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of of the evil one verse 20 we know also that the son of god has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true even in his son jesus christ he is the true god and eternal life the first part of this is again a little tricky in my uh, version, it would it would seem that um, the evil one is just controlling the whole world. But the actual verb used in the Greek is to um, is is the world lies on the evil one lies as in keimai, which means to stand on or to sit on. In other words, there is a foundation that the evil one is below. I guess that the world is sitting on, but it's not a hopeless situation and John's saying that in verse 20. Verse 20 really is a conclusion and he's reminding us as believers that um, we have the ultimate truth, the ultimate reality and that the Son of God um, actually came to give us this understanding. Recall what we've talked about before. One of the main alternate religions at this time was Gnosticism which Um, really spent all of its time in wanting this secret knowledge. And so for John to finish up with this idea of saying to the Christians, actually, you guys have the secret knowledge. There is no, it's not a secret, but this understanding and knowledge uh, comes from God, and it's very simple. He's the true God, and his son is Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And then his very last sentence here in verse 21 is, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is a direct reference again to the Gnostics, because again, that's what's on John's mind as he's writing this. Uh, Keep yourselves from idols. Uh, Idols comes from the word uh, idolon. There's other words used for idol, but this specifically is an image or a false god. And at this time, that would have been absolutely the Gnostics. But for us, I'm sure there are, False teachings, too, and false ideas that we have to protect ourselves against. So that is 1 John. It is full of, I would say, the three most important things over and over again that was really circled up today. Faith and love and obedience. And these are the three most important. And through those things, we... Not only do good for the world by loving others, but we have life here and now as well as in the future. Thanks for following along, all, and for being a part of this uh, First John study. Stay tuned for other books. We'll see what's next.